This episode is brought to you by my go-to meal prep company, Flex Pro Meals. I love Flex Pro because it tastes great, first and foremost, but also the ordering page makes it easy and has all the macro and nutritional info listed out for you for every single meal. There are 35 macro-balanced options starting at just $4.19, and they have next-day delivery to all 50 U.S. states. High-protein, low-carb, keto, gluten-free, you name it, they got it. You can use code CPRICE for 40% off your first order for a limited time. That's 40%. That's huge. So check them out, Flex Pro Meals. Welcome visionaries, dreamers, and trailblazers to the Casually Ambitious Podcast. I'm your host, Chase Price, and I am thrilled to embark on this journey with you. Here, we dive deep into the realms of wellness, entrepreneurship, and mindset. Let's build a life we love while loving the life we live. The adventure to a more mindful, purposeful, and casually ambitious life starts now. I guess as ready as I'll ever be. Comfy? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Happy Sunday. Happy Happy Sunday. Happy Eagles win. Happy Eagles dub. Congratulations. Fly. I think you should go into politics because you've campaigned your way onto the pod. No, I just, uh, <laughs> all I did was relay information that I was needed to be on the pod. And why is that? I think for two reasons. I think kind of the main reason is that there are a lot of endurance athletes out there that have families. <laughs> Probably all of them. Probably most of them. Wives, children. And I think it would be a really interesting perspective to hear from the person kind of BTS, you know, like your your crew. And then secondly, I think in my... Sorry. It's fine. Do you want me to keep going? Yeah. And secondly, I think in my own right, I might not be an ultra runner, but I think I've had kind of a cool journey through like fitness and health from you know, growing up to now. So both reasons. So you have been asking me all week what I'm going to ask you on the pod. Yeah. (laughs) You haven't told me any of your secrets. I thought maybe you'd spill a few so that I could prep, but I'm not prepped at all. Sometimes I will send a little bit of an outline before the pod to the guest. It's usually if the guest asks for it. It makes some of the guests more comfortable. For you, I'm like, nah. (laughs) You're going to throw me Because I like to catch people, not off guard, but I want it to be as authentic as possible. And I feel okay. like sending the answers beforehand lets them stew on it. Whereas sure. if I just hit you with the hard-hitting cues, you got to answer in the moment. Hit me with them cues. Um, so I'm going to keep our <laughs> conversation. It could go a million different ways, but I want to keep it related to casually ambitious sure. and kind of our themes that that we keep on the pod. And one of them being being an athlete and talking about athletic endeavors, endurance events in particular, you have recently signed up for one of these endurance events, <laughs> uh, a half marathon, yep. which I might have had a little something to do, to do with, Yeah, uh, but it was mostly your idea and you've been crushing it since then. So talk to me a little bit about what was the inspiration behind signing up for the half marathon? Like, where did that come from? Because prior to that, you had only, I believe, completed a 10K. Yeah. And I threw up three times. That was also my, that was my fault too. (laughs) We can talk about that story if we want to. (laughs) Yeah. Or we can save it for for another time. Um, Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the inspiration behind signing up. Yeah. So a really short backstory for that 10K where I vomited. Um, That was in August of 2021. 
and you were doing the half marathon in Nashville and I did the 10K. I was actually running, if I remember correctly, two to three times a week. So like I was prepping pretty well for a 10K and mind you, like they say that you don't need to prep for a 10K, but I felt that I... Who says that? Well, when I when I would go on to like Google, you know, how to prep for a 10K, they're like anything really... It's your first mistake. But I but I prepped anyways because I was like, well, I, don't, I don't believe these channels. So mm-hmm. um, I was running two to three times a week, but anywhere from like two. And I think I ran one four mile um, with you. But besides that, that was it. Mm-hmm. That was mistake number one. I should have gone a little bit higher because I <laughs> was not expecting the hills of Asheville. And I would not recommend that for anyone's like first run unless they – Yeah, unless they have experience with running hills. You don't really have experience in South End. <clears throat> I have to tell the story just because okay. we're already on it. Yeah, so, go ahead. <laughs> so I finally get her to sign up for the 10K. I'm running the half marathon for this one. Very excited. We're out there. Yeah. Her parents have a spot out there. So we stayed maybe 20 minutes away from the race, mm-hmm. 15, 20. And we get going in the morning and naturally like we're running a little bit late, which <laughs> is fine. We're still going to make it. But then we get, you know, five, 10 minutes down the road. I'm like, fuck, I forgot my AirPods. Yeah. And at this time, I'm heavily dependent on music. Which I think is crazy because now like you don't even worry I, about that. I just ran 24 hours without, <laughs> without music. it. Yeah. But at the time, I think this is pretty commonplace for most runners though early on you use it as a crutch you Mm -hmm. need a distraction and i definitely did at the time so i was like i can't run this thing without my headphones Mm -hmm. so we had to hightail it back to the house get the get the airpods get going again and at this point we're definitely late and i start speeding and then we get pulled over yeah and after we get pulled over and your registration was expired so yeah, so that that little incident probably cost us 15 more minutes. And at that point, we're just like, we're not going to make the no. beginning of the race. So we pull up, park as fast as we can, like obviously see that they've started the race without us. They did not wait for us by any means. And then as they should. <laughs> we go to start stop, like make sure we go through the the chip time little mm-hmm. area and just start beelining it trying to find the tail end like sprinting kind of sprinting my pace i think my watch said like 742 pace which is just very fast for a female very fast and we for ran you, yeah especially for me and for the first it was almost for the first full mile and we couldn't find they had started taking the mile markers down or like the markers down in the beginning of the race because everyone had passed. So now we right. really can't even find the course. We were lost. We, we did get lost. lost. And there, so we were sprinting for two miles and uh, she stopped. She's like, I can't do this. I puke. Pukes. I cry. <laughs> pukes <laughs> once, twice. Some tears come out. And at this point, I feel awful. It's my I'm first like, race. <laughs> I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm just absolutely setting her up for failure not only for this race but well into the future <laughs> like i'm i'm screwing you up because this is going to be your race day experience You're like this is the worst thing i've ever experienced so that happens eventually we catch the tail end of the mm-hmm. pack we find them we ask some people where they are we catch up to them and then i run with you for the first four miles for four we, miles. we split up after four because you go to your half marathon and we basically go to the end yeah and that was nice because you ran my pace. And at that time, I, I was running about a 10-minute mile, which all things considered after the vomit situation, I think that was still a pretty good speed. I mean, that's yeah. the speed that I'm rocking with now. So I was like, okay. But then as you, rem- if you remember correctly, the last two 
2.1 or 2.2, whatever it is, is like all uphill Mm -hmm. and like drastic uphill. There was a point where I'm like, if I even running, I could be faster walking. So I was like walking these uphills and then I go to try to finish because I'm like, here it is. We made it. I'm running as fast as I can. I, I try to bust out a sprint, which I think most people probably do towards the end. They pick it up and everyone's like hollering for me. And I'm like, wow, they're so nice. What I didn't realize is the winner of the half marathon was actually behind me and like com- <laughs> completely lapped me. Um, and they were cheering for him, not for me. So mm. then I get my medal and I feel that sensation of that I'm going to be sick again. And I kind of just like push my head down and just kind of let it come right out. And I just like, I'm like, thank you. Line. And I grab my medal mm-hmm. and then I do it again near a tree. <laughs> so it's great. Yeah. So that was your first running experience. Yeah. So I kind of tainted you negatively from that. And it took you, what was that, three years ago to finally sign up again? Yep. Yeah. yeah. I kind of like stopped. I, w- I was running here and there maybe like two miles, three miles max. I don't think I ever fully stopped, stopped. I would run like every now and then. But I think what happened is I was seeing you train. I felt like I was kind of getting the itch for it again. And I randomly during this, during last summer, I think it, or this summer, no, cause I'd already signed up. I don't remember when it was. I had randomly started running a, like two miles, like once or twice a week. And I was like, I don't know if maybe I could do this. And I also felt like it would appease you. And I signed up just to say that I would and a little to get you off my back because I wasn't I, on your back. What are you talking about? I felt a little pressure, but that's really? in my, that was probably in my, my head as well. Okay. So I signed up and I signed up for one like as late in the year as possible. I think this was like New Year's. So I said I would do it. And I remember thinking like running through this summer when it was extremely hot and I was dying after two miles and we would run a few times and I'm like, there's no way, there's no way. And then fast forward, I'm in, you know, I'm tomorrow starts week 10 of my training and I'm like, I ran 12 yesterday. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, you did 12 yesterday. The yeah. longest run you've had yeah. yesterday. And it that was the end of my peak. So one experience share I will say about that whole thing was I was, I mean, in hindsight, I just see how extremely selfish I was because I was so centered around like my time and me doing good and making sure I had my AirPods and everything else when in the scheme of things, it didn't really matter. I wasn't like elite or, you know, challenging for anything. I just wanted to do well for myself. But in yeah. that process, it screwed you up literally probably for two, three years, not wanting to run. So that's one thing I would say, you know, in partnership or relationships is like, try, you know, there's moments sure to be selfish. Like you sign up for a race for yourself. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you're going to have to spend that time training and that time for yourself. But that was not my brightest moment. And that was a a huge learning experience for me. Yeah, but I also think like just to play devil's advocate, like obviously it sucked for me in the moment and I really was disliking you (laughs) completely. (laughs) But at the same time, looking back, like I wasn't running the 10K to do anything. You were really getting, starting to get into running, starting to kind of catch a bug, enjoy Mm -hmm. it. And so that was a a a kind of a monumentous, is that a word? Monumentous? Momentous? There it is. Monumental or momentous? I don't know. 
one of those mo- moments. It was a big moment for you in your new running career. So it was kind of, it's probably a similar feeling to how I'm feeling for the Richmond half that you felt back then. So I could also see that you were a little scatterbrained and in your own head about it. And you were probably also worried about the fact that we got there late. So why worry about me who like doesn't run and isn't really running for anything other than just like me to do it? Yeah. So it was, it's we, a, it was we a learning a experience. Both yeah. of us. Both of us did. And now you are, we're two, two weeks out almost to the day yeah, of your house. Yeah, two weeks yesterday. Yeah. So let's talk about that. So you mentioned prior, like earlier this summer, you were running two miles here and there, a mm-hmm. mile here and there, whatever. That's when you didn't have any structure. You were just no. kind of floating around. You're like, I should probably start running because there's this big goal at the end of the year that I need to start getting ready for. <laughs> and I could be like, you're going to want to start getting getting ready. You're going to want to start getting ready. And then you actually formally asked me like, hey, can you put a plan together for yeah. me? Which was really awesome for me. Um, not only that you asked me that, but just that your mindset was there because it showed me that you were committed to this, that mm-hmm. you really, really wanted to do it and that we could actually start making some progress because it all starts with a plan. As you know now, yeah. compared to when you first got into it, having a plan and going into it with a structured block is night and day. Yeah. Well, I also, I had some friends running halves at the time and I remember asking like, what did you use to prep for a half marathon? And they're like, oh, the the Nike, you know, the Nike app or the Runa app or whatever. But then I was like, I have a secret weapon. My husband. <laughs> I'll just ask him. Yeah. And so I figured, I mean, what better person to help me than someone that A, knows me better than most people, and B, is an extreme runner. So like, I thought it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. I do think it's a little bit challenging training your partner or training with your partner sometimes because you take constructive criticism and feedback differently from a coach than you would a partner sometimes like with a partner i'm not saying we've really encountered that because it's more like i've set out the block and i'm like well it's on the block go do it and you don't really give me pushback um but generally speaking like i know there's been times even before that where we would go back and forth on some stuff and you'd be like yeah you know kind of brush it off and then you'd hear it from somebody else you'd be like okay maybe there's some merit to that Yeah, but I also think for this one, we didn't really encounter that that much. I think we did – I think this – I mean, I basically just followed it. I think the only time we tweaked it is when I found out that I was injured with my back and I was like, well, we're not going to have 14-plus weeks. Let's push it out a little bit. And now I think we gave ourselves 11 weeks. Yeah. And now that I'm getting into coaching, that's one of the biggest things that I'm a stickler about is don't change the block. Mm. which you really didn't do. I mean, no. there were days there when you one switched, run. you would move like a Saturday to a Sunday or something like that. I'm like, that's fine. Yeah. Because we only had you running four days a week. Yeah. So you could. Which was perfect for me. I don't think I could have done five, to be yeah. honest. No, for, for half, me. You know, I don't know that you needed to. I think it was perfect for what we built out. But um, you were really diligent about that. And I think that's the most important thing as a new runner. What people can take away is one, the power of finding someone to guide you because mm. they're going to cut literally years off your learning curve, number one. Yeah. And number two, the power of structure and building out a plan. And then the number three, the power of sticking to it and letting it compound and seeing the gains week over week. Yeah. And I also think because at the time, it's this weird thing at the time, it was nine weeks ago, 
But at the time, because it was such a big, like, monstrous goal, I think I ne- there was never some anything in my head that was like, I, I don't have to adhere to this plan. It was like, because this is such a crazy thing that I'm doing and I've never done something, I didn't feel like I had any footing to, like, <laughs> or ability to change it. So mm-hmm. I just did it. I just, just didn't feel like I had a choice. I was like, I have to run exactly what it says. But if I need to, you know, I think one time at a wedding, I moved my long run to Friday and the shorter one to Saturday because we had a wedding Saturday, but, or like you said, a Saturday to Sunday. But besides that, I think it was only that one 10 mile run that we changed it, but I stuck to it because it's like, well, I don't know any better. And if I'm going to run 13.1 miles in November, I can't not do these runs. It's like the literal whole point of training. Mm Mm-hmm. Another thing that you you talked about maybe yesterday or two days ago was you said that you thought my plan was a little bit aggressive. Why did you say that? That was just some feedback I had heard, and I wish I could remember from who, but it was a a few people. But basically, for those who don't know, which is like everyone because no one's following my life, but the first week it was pretty conservative as most week ones are. It was like two, 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 three, I think. But at the that weekend was around the crown, which was another 10K. And I was kind of like, well, let me just – well, I have some friends doing it. Let me just sign up. One, I haven't done it in two years. So that would be kind of cool to like have a redemption 10K from the Asheville one. And then two, um, just a base, right? Because if I'm absolutely terrible, then I know I have a long 12 weeks ahead or 11 weeks ahead of me. If it wasn't too bad, then like maybe we can work on – doing some kind of speed work or something like that. So we, you know, I don't think in most people's first weeks are you doing over six miles, Um, but it was an organized race and it was great. And then, you know, the next couple of weeks, I think also most training plans for half marathons, from what I've read, is anywhere from 12 to 14 to even 16 weeks. And we kind of had to cram ours into 11 because of a, a back injury. And so we were, you know, less than... I think in three weeks, I was already up to, I think I had to do seven. So I think going from zero to, it felt like zero to a hundred when you're, when you're running seven miles in, in week three. So I think for other people that had followed like more straight Nike, Nike run up plannings, mm-hmm. for example, um, I don't, I don't think it's, I think it's a little more gradual of a build. Right. But You've also talked about how you think at first you did think it was aggressive, but in hindsight, it was perfect for you. For and me. also you mm-hmm. think it was great to be able to oftentimes in a half marathon plan, they run up to 10 miles and then cut it and then yeah. say your longest run is going to be your marathon. Right. Your and half. I knew I needed more. And we got 12 in because that was a conscious thing we, we talked about. Mm-hmm. It was going to be important mentally just to get to 12, right? 100%. Yeah. And what I was telling you yesterday is like, when you go to 10, I know in hindsight, three miles isn't crazy, but in reality, three miles is a 5K. Like that, that, that's a race to some people. And that is quite hefty. When you get to 12 and you have a mile, for me mentally, that's like, well, that's nothing. That's a mile. Three and one, especially when you're that tired and you're running on tired legs, I think that's a huge difference. So I told you mm-hmm. straight up, I was like, I do not want to stop at 10. Yeah, I'll run. I'll run all thirteen point one if you put it on my on my block. 
Yeah, I really want to cater this episode specifically to people who are maybe getting started in the run space yeah. or starting their journey. You're a previous athlete. You know, you were an NFL cheerleader for mm-hmm. three years. Yeah. So you're coming. You're not coming from nothing as far as athletic prowess. I mean, you were a cheerleader in college, and you used to play soccer. All this. Mm-hmm. Running is just different, as you've <laughs> come to experience, and as everybody eventually will. And there's this threshold or this barrier where it's like. Two miles, three miles when you're first getting started, they're just they just suck. It's inevitable. Yeah. Like you're not conditioned, you're red faced, you're out of breath, you're sucking wind, and you just want it to be over. And you're like, that was 20 minutes. Oh my gosh, those 20 minutes of hell. <laughs> One, because you're just like going hard. You don't know how to pace yourself. You don't know that you're supposed to be doing yeah. paces. And two, just because you're not conditioned for it. So talk to me about what you would recommend or some advice you would give to those people who are starting to break through and say like, stick with it. It's going to take probably two weeks to three weeks to break through that initial suck. Mm -hmm. But there is some greener grass on the other side once you break through. Yeah. Well, my like two main things, because I've had so many people reach out to me on Instagram, you know, friends from college or whoever just saying, you know, you're making me want to like start running again or like I used to run or I haven't run, but like you're making me feel like I can go run. And that's a really endearing feeling. But the two main things that I tell them is one, I don't think I've ever loved my first mile in any of my runs. Like my first mile or even my second mile, I just hate it. My first mile feels like I've never ran in my life. And I don't mean in terms of breathing. I mean, like, I feel like my body isn't like understanding what I'm supposed to be doing. Like I feel awkward. I feel like if people saw me from the street, like I have a weird gait. Like I just feel like my body doesn't feel like mine. And your breathing kind of is like heavy for a second. And then it like starts to get into the, I don't know, my breathing always starts like weirdly heavy. And then it kind of starts to find its way. Find rhythm. Yeah. Um, Even mile two, now that I'm going on longer runs, I'm like by mile three, four is actually when I feel like I'm getting into the groove. So I always tell people that. And then the second thing, and I think this is the main thing, is slow the f- down. Like mm-hmm. I think when people go to run, they're if people who have never ran before, all of a sudden they're busting out these like 8:30 paces or 8-minute miles and they're not able to sustain that for even half a mile. And I'm like, "Well, because that's a fast when you're doing longer runs, like that's a fairly fast pace. Realistically, I, t- I talked to a world record holder uh, a couple of weeks ago, Parker Stinson, and he runs the marathon. He ran a 210 marathon. And he's like, Crazy. even us who are running, you know, five minute miles, mm-hmm. five minute clips. When I'm doing my slow runs, I run two minutes plus slower than my marathon pace Mm -hmm. so he's running like you know it sounds fast to to us but he's running seven minute miles seven 30 minute miles on his slow days Mm -hmm. so realistically think about that for for you into transition like if you're trying to do a marathon or a half marathon at a 10 minute mile realistically you should start doing your slow runs at, at 12 minutes yeah and even higher than that and yeah the thing with going slow is it's an ego check. And that's the hardest part about yeah, it. Yeah. And it's also just kind of awkward with cadence and stuff. Like there's just so much to learn about that. But when you slow yourself down, yeah, it sucks watching a bajillion people pass you. But at the same time, it teaches you so much. It teaches you, you know, are you landing on your midfoot? Do you run on your toes? Do you heel strike really hard? You know, like 
you know, I've had a lot of like SI joint issues and kind of pelvic issues. And it, when you run in a weird cadence, like your, your pelvis is basically doing this and it's your slow runs actually teach you a lot more about kind of the dynamics of your body. Mm. And then when you start feeling more comfortable, you can start picking up that pace, which I've seen in myself as I've gotten, you know, throughout the weeks of training. But that's just the main thing I tell everyone. I'm like, just literally go slow and and then go slower than that. And then you'd be surprised how easy you could probably bust out like four miles. <laughs> I agree. And I would challenge everybody to think about it this way. And this is when I'm going slow, this is how I think about it, is when you see somebody pass you, just think they're burning themselves out. I'm building myself up. Because I know at the end of the day, I'm probably going farther and building more of a base and they're going out for two, three miles at eight minute, eight, 30 minute miles. And then they're toast at the end of it. So just think about yeah. it that way. They're burning themselves out. I'm building myself up. doesn't matter if they are or not, but that's one of those mantras that I like to, to preach to myself when I'm running slow. Yeah. And the amount of people, for those who don't live in Charlotte, there's a, an area of Charlotte called the light rail and there's a lot of foot traffic where they're walking, walking dogs, walking to bars, running. And the amount of times that I've run on the light rail and seen guys pass me so fast and then I catch up to them (laughs) like just minutes later because they have to walk because they're out of breath. I'm like, well, how'd that? And then I just, and it's such a little ego boost for me because I'm just running by at my 10 minute mile and I'm like, how does, how does this feel? (laughs) Nice to meet again. Didn't you say like (laughs) yesterday you were running on the light or not the light rail, the greenway greenway, and a guy like put his hands on his knees like he was done. You're like, and damn, hurled. I'm jealous he's done. And then he just yacked. Like, he just oh, yacked. He's, he's not done. I was like, he either like pushed himself through a really, really hard race today or he did what I think all new runners make the mistake of doing at first and just going way too hard, getting your heart rate way too high and then yakking. And I was like, that's not the first thing I wanted to see at the start of a 12-mile run, but good luck to my guy. Yeah. I think that's a good segue uh, to the next subject I wanted to talk about, which was like, you know, we've been married a year and change. So we know everything about marriage. (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) And that's one of the things I want to touch on is like, you know, when we got married or when we were dating, I was, you know, I, I was going to the gym. I was athletic, but I wasn't to the level where I'm at now with Mm -hmm. commitment and you know, having running hundred mile races and things like that. And so that's been a huge transition for you, not only me, but like the hours of training put in the logistics and hours of coordination that go into getting out to these races, running the races, whatever it may be. Uh, What have you learned through this process? And I know that, you know, there's been hard times for us where it's just a lot of communication that goes into it, but what have you learned and what's been your biggest takeaway about being, on the other side, the partner of somebody who is committing to kind of being an endurance athlete. Am I speaking from my training point of view or like... No, just the wifey perspective. Wifey perspective. I think it's been extremely challenging because on one side, you're so, as a wife or just a anyone that loves you and supports you, you're so excited for them. You understand and you see all the work that you put into these runs. And it's just, the dedication is unreal. And it obviously shows in your times within your runs and your performance in your runs. So on 
the one point of that is, well, he's doing incredible and he's putting in the work and it shows. And I can't ever be mad at him for that because, I mean, it's paying off. But the caveat to it is it's, it's you know, selfishly, it's challenging because I, you know, end up having a lot more time at home where it is just me. And for those who don't know, we have two dogs under the age of one. And then we also have a cat and we live in kind of a busy area and we don't have a yard. So the only time that they go out is on a leash on a busy street. And so it, it feel, it can feel very overwhelming, um, for the partner a good amount of the times. But I think, I think the main thing that I've learned is like communication. Like I think it's really important when you start feeling like, for lack of a better word, feeling like left behind a little bit to just kind of stop and do a reality check and talk to your partner and say, Hey, like, obviously I know you're training, you're doing amazing, but let's try to be more intentional about shelling time for each other. Like, you know, kind of separating. I think we talked about instead of working lakes, I have a full-time job and a part-time job. Obviously your training at this point is basically like a second job on top of trying to get sponsorships and then, you know, owning your own company. We have to find that work-life balance or we're just going to completely like just wash ourselves out and just be exhausted. So we find, you know, we try to do date nights on Wednesdays or if we can't do Wednesday, you know, we say, okay, well, the next week we'll have kind of a bigger, better date night if we need to skip one or find a weekend where we have more time to go to the park, things like that. I think time management and communication are like the two main things that you have to do in order for for this dynamic to, to work at all. Mm-hmm. That's one thing that I've learned or one of the bigger things that I've learned is like as long as you you know well ahead of time, it's typically not a problem. The mm-hmm. problems really come into play when it's like the day of and I'm like, oh, fuck, I got I got something <laughs> I got to be at or like I got this extra run or I have this extra thing I have to mm-hmm. fit in. Right. Because other than that, we can typically work together and work around it. But if those last thing last minute things continuously pop up which they have like there's been times when we've been kind of going through it because of that lack of communication i think Mm -hmm. you know yeah and if there's like a huge long run like for example i ran 50 miles prior to my 100 and i was like this is a big day mark it on your calendar like i'm gonna run 50 this day i'm gonna be gone basically from 5 a.m until probably 2 p.m yeah so my saturday is basically a wash so i think just communicating that beforehand um, and I am curious to your perspective now also doing some training yourself, like has that perspective shifted or changed at all? Um, reword that for me a little bit. Sorry. Are, are you looking at it any differently or does it feel the same now that you're also training and you're like, okay, now I see what he's after. I see the addiction. I see the chase that he's on where I couldn't necessarily relate before, but now I, I see where it's coming from. And like, it's almost before I couldn't relate because I wasn't in the midst of anything like that or chasing something like that. Yeah. I don't think it was ever, it was ever me not understanding or relating because I 100% always supported what you did. And I thought it was incredible, the lack, or not the lack, the amount of dedication that you have towards it. I think 
for me, it's just I'm human. And for those who know me, I'm very sensitive and I'm emotional and I love my sleep. And when I don't get enough or I feel overwhelmed with work and then on top of that, just any additional like house duties, animal duties, things like that, um, I can I, I can be two things at once. I can be tired and frustrated because I feel like I need more help and um, stressed because I now have to do these runs myself as well and I want to make sure I have adequate sleep. But we have dogs, you know, <laughs> having upset stomachs and going to the bathroom and their kennels in the middle of the night and all of that stuff. I can be that and I can also still be appreciative and excited and supportive of you and your training blocks and what you're doing. I just think I can, I think there's a space for both. And sometimes it's just a matter of being, for me, being more vocal and saying, hey, it's nothing that you're doing today. I'm just really tired. I'm really stressed. I have a lot going on at work. This is just a lot for me today. I'm overstimulated, whatever. And that just be that. And it has nothing to do with you or, or the life <laughs> that you've chosen. I just have, you know, I can have off days. I would also uh, think, you know, from my perspective too, it's like, it's been nice to, even if you didn't have a half marathon to train for, you know, I'd find something else to kind of root you on and, and cheer you on for, because it's nice to reciprocate, you know, mm -hmm. like you're always there for me, you go to all my races. Mm -hmm. So I'm making a point to like, not run Richmond and just go and have a <laughs> stupid ass sign and yeah. hold it up, push for boost. I want like, a, I want a sign. Yeah, I'll make you a little <laughs> sign and we're gonna do that. But that's and been donuts. It's been really fun to be able to kind of cheer you on in that capacity. But yeah. I would I would say for other endurance athletes out there, like find a way to support your spouse, whether if if they're into cooking or whatever it is, like mm -hmm. find ways to support them and go above and beyond more than just like I love when you cook there, like, you know, go do classes or like find these bigger, um, bigger ways to get involved because it does make a difference and yeah. it shows more than anything. I'm sure you feel like more respected, more seen, and you just, it's, it's a big effort and you appreciate it. Probably. Yeah. And, and I've actually told you from going through this journey together of you kind of becoming more of like an endur endurance athlete and through that, um, path is I'm also learning that my love languages are changing. Like I told you for a while that I thought my new love language is acts of service because now I'm realizing through kind of the the throes of everything that our life is, which is so chaotic and hectic, like <laughs> literally 24-7, I'm realizing that you know, I come home and, and you vacuumed and <laughs> cleaned the kitchen. I'm like, this is better than any date night I could have asked for. This is incredible. But just little things um, are so helpful when you're in that space of just sometimes just over overwhelmed, you know, feelings. Yeah. yeah. You also, you touched on it. You have an experience as a personal, well, not personal trainer, but a, a fitness trainer. Mm -hmm. um, you've been training, what, like four years? Four now? years, yeah. So, so you have a hefty background in, in fitness. You've been around mm -hmm. fitness your whole life. Yeah, I had to, for this gym specifically, I had to get my certification, my personal training certification. So I actually am certified to PT, but I just decided to teach group classes mm -hmm. <laughs> instead because I like the energy. Okay. Yeah. And you have phenomenal, phenomenal energy on the mic. Uh, I have to say I've been to a couple classes. 
some do, pe- baby boo. Some people Big just, D on the mic. Some people don't got it. And you get in <laughs> class, you're like, I should have stayed in bed. But she's not one of those people. She gets you going. It's exciting. Yeah, um, they don't call me Big D for nothing. I do want to talk about group class settings and, and things like that a little bit. What, you know, you've been in group class settings that have been phenomenal. Like, you know, you're a big fan of training camp and you continue to go there. And then you've been in group class settings that maybe just weren't for you and they were a little bit lackluster, not what you were looking for specifically. What do you think kind of separates the ones, the the big, you know, I don't want, I say, I don't want to say wins, but like the successful group class settings from maybe the duds or the ones that are lacking more energy, does it really just come down to the trainer's energy? I I, I think about this a lot because for those who don't know, the gym that I work at, not only am I a group trainer, but for the past two years I've been a manager and I've trained the man, uh, the trainers. So I am the director of training. So I've seen a lot of the back end and I truly – have so much more of an appreciation now for all that goes into kind of being a manager or owning a gym, especially if it's, you know, not um, like a chain, a national chain. And I think it comes down to the community that the gym itself has created. Um, I feel like you can feel when you're not welcome somewhere or no one cares that you're there. It just feels so much better when you're greeted with a friendly face and you go into a class and people are talking to each other and it just seems like it's like a safe environment. I think especially for women who tend to probably frequent group classes, I'd say probably more than men. Um, it, it just feels so much better feeling like there's a sense of community there. And then, yeah, I think ultimately it comes down to your staff. doesn't even have to be just trainers. If you have front desk or whoever, because um, you can you can tell the difference. You can tell when people, one, don't care, two, don't really know what the hell they're talking about. I'm like, mm, I could probably teach your class for you. <laughs> or um, really a number of things, the energy, like no matter what, we've always said, I work at West Cup Secret and we've always said, you know, even if you're having a, you wake up and your energy is at a D on like a grading scale, it doesn't matter because the people that show up are still paying the same amount. They still deserve the best that you can give them. Even if that day it's a B minus, you're giving more than you're putting on a show, so to speak. Um, Because you want to give them a a first class service. And that's something that I've always prided myself on when working at West Kept is, I don't think no matter what I have gone through, when people walk into the doors for my classes, they're going to get me being personable. I'm going to be asking how they are, how's their day. If I saw something on their social media, I'm going to talk to them about it. I'm going to try to laugh and make jokes, even if no one laughs back. Um, But that's just what I do. And I'm going to try to give them as much energy as possible, even if I have to sit in my car afterwards for 10 minutes in complete silence then that's what I have to do. To but recharge the social To battery. recharge. Yeah, yeah. you got you to gotta decompress. There's a lot of times after my three classes in a row, depending on how challenging they are, I'll, I'll drive home in complete science, uh, silence just to, you know, because then I have to start my work day, my normal work day. <laughs> when you're talking about building community and let's say we're starting a run club or, you know, there's somebody out there starting a fitness group or, or anything like that, and you talk about community is the number one aspect how 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 would you go about building that? Where would you start? That's so hard. I think 
Um, unfortunately for the gyms who don't have it, I think sometimes it can naturally find itself. Like when you create an environment that people want to show up to and work hard, um, you just naturally find people that are like-minded and kind of have the same, not ideas, but ideas of what working hard is. And like, you know, I think West Kept and training camp where I go to are great examples of that. I mean, I didn't really know anyone when I went to training camp. I just like, I think it was one friend that I knew and I went for a free boot camp and everyone there, it was just like magnetic. I was so drawn to it because everyone was working so hard and I'm so competitive. So I was like, wow, this is incredible. I feel like usually I'm I'm pretty top tier in these classes and these people are whooping my ass in these classes. So I'm like, this is amazing. And then you have owners like Thad, for example, for a training camp who is so personable, so knowledgeable. I mean, you can just tell by the way he speaks to his people and he's just no nonsense. He does, There's not a lot of fluff in training camp. You get there, you get the work done and you leave and you have a great experience. And I think that community, you just, it just kind of finds themselves. If, if the, the programming's not good, if the, the trainers are boring and blah, and if you don't have an owner that cares, it's, I don't think that community is ever going to really find itself. It's going to take a lot more work. Yeah. So it's not necessarily the aesthetic when you go into somewhere or the trainer. It's like a little bit of everything kind of coming together in a perfect storm. Yeah. And that's why I think there's a perfect match for everyone out there. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I obviously love West Cup because I've been working there forever. I know that's not for everyone. It's Pilates and strength training and cardio all in one in a hit style. That might not be for everyone. We have more majority of women that go there than men. Totally get that. Training camp kind of the exact opposite. There's a lot of men that go there. It's probably not for every girl because it's very high intensity or you have strength classes where you're lifting hundreds of pounds. Again, that's not for everyone. Some people want to go to a bar studio. There's community out there for everybody. It's just kind of you have to put yourself out there, get out of your comfort zone and like find those spaces that you do feel welcome. I have to kind of transition. Uh, I'm I'm staring down at your black toe right oh, now. You, you guys <laughs> on camera aren't going to be able to see. She uh, so started getting a black toenail this week. It's my and rite I've of passage. Heard about it many times a day <laughs> for like the last five days, and she's like, "I've done it. I'm, I'm a runner. I've made it. It's my rite of passage. Yeah, I've I'm made pumped. It. <laughs> you would think I would not be." You would think I would not be as pumped to have a toenail fall off, but the second I started seeing that thing change to a a darker yellow and now it's like brown black, I'm like, this is incredible. Even my dermatologist <laughs> spotted him and was like, hey, if you, you want something for that, I can I can hook you up. And I was like, no, yeah. I don't want that thing to you shine. You got to let them know. <laughs> I've been putting in the miles. I'm so pr- I'm like texting my sister foot pics. I'm, I'm texting my friend Madison. I'm like, look at this toe. <laughs> I actually came up to her and looked over her shoulder and she's got the most high definition picture of a toe I've ever seen. I'm like, God damn, that should be sold on on uh, OnlyFeed or something. Because no, because it was a nice picture. I have, I also have extremely small feet. I, I can wear kid sizes. I have a size five and women are a size three in kids. So what makes it even scarier are my toenails are a millimeter. If you even have like blink once, you might miss them. So They're it's tiny. even it's even spookier. Yeah, seeing her shoes around the house just make me LOL <laughs> next to mine sometimes because they look like little baby shoes. Yeah. But 
hey, I can get cheaper shoes. You can. They just have stars on the bottom and they light up. Yeah. I've bought you kid shoes a time or two. Yeah, Converse's. Amongst others, yes. <laughs> what can you do? <laughs> speaking of... Shout out my mom and dad. Speaking of black toes and gross feet, uh, you had the the privilege and the honor to crew me <laughs> last weekend for my 100 mile race, officially uh, one week ago, because I finished last Sunday. We're recording this one week after that. And we're so happy to be on the other side. Yeah. How would you describe that experience? Was it uh, stressful? Was it awful? Oh Was it inspirational? Like what, how would you describe being a primary crew chief for somebody doing a hundred mile race? Wow. I've said this to you and I'll say it again. The one thing I can recommend is have more than one person. I understand that that's not going to be the case for every race, but what I learned from this past one is like, you need people there with you, even if they don't know what they're doing and you need to dictate what they're doing and just yell at them. Yeah. yeah. You need something because when you first left and the dogs were being insane and there was like red clay mud everywhere and <laughs> they refused to listen to me and I couldn't get the light to turn on and we're in the middle of the woods and it's dark and I can't see, I I was really like, this is going to be the longest 24 hours of my life. And then you ha I had, we had friends that came yeah. for a couple hours. Yeah, we which did was have amazing. friends that, come, that, that came out. And, but yeah. it was after I had done a loop, which was like four hours in, three or four hours in. Yeah, Madison and Lance were there before you got back for your first loop. And then they stayed through the second loop. And they're all pretty much there just for moral support. They're not there yeah. to like help crew. So I, but I, and I, for those who didn't know, obviously, if you go watch the documentary, um, I surprised Chase at the end of his first 100-mile race, so I didn't get to see kind of all the ins and outs of the first race of crewing. And you had a much bigger squad at that point, so you got mm -hmm. more of like the all-star treatment. You weren't getting the Ritz-Carlton treatment this time. You were you were getting the Holiday Inn Express treatment. You were getting the Quality Inn Express, which is where we stayed the night No, before. better. it was better than that. <laughs> I mean, we're not the JW Marriott, but give me, <laughs> call me some slack. You're getting a continental breakfast. Um, but no, we talked about it beforehand. Toast and cereal, baby. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, we talked about it beforehand. We went through all your stuff. You're like, I'm going to need this, this, and this. I might need this. And so I was yeah. like, all right, I know what to do. I always had your, I call them electrodes as a joke, but like your big jug with electrolytes in it. My goops, my goose. I had your goops. Um you know, I had a little bottle full of LMNT in case you needed that. I had, you know, the mold, I had the whole cooler with the stuff and you would just say, this is what I need. And if you needed food or something else, I just kind of had our friends who were there go and get that stuff for me. And yeah, it was fine. I think I actually really enjoyed it because I was very locked in and I feel like I'm, I'm good under pressure, baby. So when you got in, sit down. I was like, what do you need? All right, what else? Because I feel like I'm able, my mind runs really, really fast. So I feel like I was able to do one thing and then, you know, try to prep you for, okay, what else do you need after this? So I can just keep going and there's no downtime. And I feel like our transitions were pretty fast. And, um, but overall outside of your running, I wouldn't say I was bored. I think it's so strange because I've had so many people ask like, what did you do during that time? But until your last two laps when it was dark out and, and the friends left and your brother left and everything, I really didn't feel like I like sat down and took a break. It's kind of crazy. Like there was, I feel like there was so much going on. We had all of our friends brought their dogs. There were so many dogs. It was like, I was either prepping for you or you came through and it was like a hurricane and I'm like throwing stuff away and like prepping 
to kind of reprep for the next time around and then dealing with the dogs. And then I'm like, oh yeah, I haven't eaten in 10 hours. Let me figure that out. And I felt like I just didn't sit down until finally you came in for the last two loops, which was, I think at like right before seven or right after seven was when you came in for the, for the, um, 80, 60 to 80. For the fourth loop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's crazy to hear because in my mind, I'm, I'm thinking you're just having a horrible time. And, <laughs> no. and even after the third loop, after I came back for the fourth loop, or maybe I was heading into the, no, I, was, I finished the fourth, I was heading into the fifth. Mm -hmm. I just came back apologizing. You, yeah. You were instantly apologizing. And for me, that made, that made, that hurt my heart because I was like, he is doing this incredible, incredible feat. And the first thing he thinks of is to apologize to me. And that made me, that really made me so well, sad. Well, it was because I thought that I was going to finish faster. Yeah, and but I so, already knew at that point that that 20 hour goal wasn't going to happen because right. I've, I'm, I'm timing you. I right. know when you're coming in. Right. And I just felt bad because I realized we were going to be there probably four hours longer than we originally had talked yeah. about, which doesn't sound like a ton, but it was also the hours from like, 1 a.m. until 5 a.m. Or, or 6 a.m. Um, yeah, I think at that point we had we had let Miley, Madison, and Lance. Thank God for them. Took Miley back to um, one of our friends who dog sits, and I just had Hoka, who is a, a pretty fresh-ish puppy, so he sleeps a lot. And we were able to, I was able to get like one hour of nap time during your second to last loop. Um, and then the very last loop, um, I was able to get like two hours, which was like my main, my main sleep. Yeah. Um, but and I, that's when it started getting, I have to give you credit rough. because I came back and I was, I was really in my own head at that point. Kind of when I started mm -hmm. apologizing to you, you weren't feeling that, but I was, I felt like you were starting to get that, um, resentment built up but that no. was just me creating that in my yeah, own head and i have all. to give you credit because i came back and i started saying sorry and you were like shut the fuck up <laughs> i was like, like i literally don't care you're doing amazing <laughs> yeah you know I, i'm gonna support you as long as i need to be out here i'm gonna be out here and that made me feel a whole lot better when i was at a really low point it's kind yeah. of exactly what i needed to hear well glad but yeah you shouldn't have been I look at it on the flip side. If I was doing that and I came back and you were like, you're taking too long, I I'm really bored, I think I would have punched you in the face, literally. So why would I ever, no. I'm just. I'm also just not like that. I'm empathetic, so like, and you know that, empathetic to a fault. So I could feel you, I could literally feel your stress from taking longer than you expected. And it just, I had to kind of level set with you that it's okay. And hey, you're actually only, you know, 24 minutes um, ahead of the second person. So I need you to actually just zip it. <laughs> let me, let me get these things taped up, put some more toe condoms on and, uh, let's send you on your merry way. So you can, you can at least win it if you're going to make me stay out there in the woods all night <laughs> long. Yeah. Uh, no way I would have been able to win it if I, if it hadn't been for you. So thank you so much again. Um, eventually crossed at just under 24 hours. 557. 2357. Yeah. Crazy, crazy. Um, and at that point, I was just looking forward to a moment of peace, like to just sit in the chair and, yeah. and chill for 20, 30 minutes. And you had to like kind of re repack up the Bronco and, and all yeah, that. Yeah. That's so, where I was. That's where that's I think where I started, where I started struggling. Yeah. Because yeah. 
I got so emotional when you finished. Like I felt like I couldn't breathe. My heart was so tight. I was just so proud. I was like trying to cry, but I was also delusional, so tired. And because you also know when you like go to you go to sleep, but you know that you can't sleep for a long time. You wake up even groggier. I'm like, I should have just stayed up. So I was in kind of that state. You finished. I was so proud of you. But as you know, after these 100 miles, like your body starts to completely tense up so fast. So even within five minutes of you sitting, you like can't move. Your body just locks up on you. (laughs) So so I'm like, you sit by the fire or there was like a heater. You sit over here. Let me grab you some food or whatever you need. And I think you wanted to change out of your wet clothes. So like I tried to, you know, spent the first like 30 minutes just trying to get you situated because I'm like, well, it's freezing out. I'd want to change too. So just helping you change, getting you food, getting you situated. And then the second I was able to kind of like leave you, I was like, it's fucking go time. And I was packing like there wasn't a spider in the woods. I was in those trees. I was out there without lights. I was just like, well, I hope there isn't some big and scary bugs around me because I was going so fast. Um, And that's also when Hoka went to the bathroom in your car. So I had to clean that out. Um is so fun and then he took more potty breaks as you remember right beside you after you finished your 100 miles you're really zeroing in on the potty breaks yeah well it's just it was a lot going on if you know what i mean um and then i the i don't know why i remember this so vividly but i had gotten you in the car we had fully packed up you bumped your head it was basically time to leave it was like icing on the cake you wanted me to grab a water or something and it was under something so i needed to like get up in the bronco and then grab it and i went to get up and i shot up really fast and i just straight to the dome right into the roof of the bronco and you were like ooh. and i I thought i was gonna see instant tears and i i wanted to cry so bad because you know, it's like when you've had it, you're just at that point. But I also just didn't want to cry because I'm like, he just ran 100 miles. Like, stop being a wimp. But I was just so tired that at that point I was like, I felt like I was going to lose it. Let me, let like, me ask you together. this. Sure. From the first 100 to the second 100, how was it? How were they different? Like, which one was more emotional for you if uh, there was one? Um. I think I, well, I cried, I cried at both. The first one was obviously emotional because it was your first one and you ran it in an incredible, insane time. The third fastest in history of that course. And I surprised you. So it was like emotional for a lot of reasons. This one, however, I think even though I didn't physically cry as much, I was so anxious for you and so nervous and so emotional because of how hard the course was. And I could see it. Like I felt like I could read you like a book. I could tell how demanding it was. I could tell how in your head you were coming in to before going through the final lap. And so I think when you finish and you finished three minutes, you know, less than three minutes, you know, sub 24, which was your kind of second goal, um, it just made it made it so bittersweet and it was amazing and um, everyone was talking about you when you weren't there. And it just, it's crazy. It was crazy to see how much your mind like got you through this one. So I, I guess I'd say this, this one, the second one. Yeah. Cool. I, I really didn't know that. I was, I thought you were going to say the first one because we had just such a 
epic turnout with our family and everything. Yeah. But you, it, we, I also relied on you pretty much single-handedly for the second one. So you were a yeah. lot more invested, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I got to see the entire, the entire journey this time as opposed to the last time I kind of came in towards the end. Um, and the course was just brutal. I mean, you're out in the woods. You're not in like pretty outer banks. <laughs> True. There's so no then, Hatteras Lighthouse at the end. No. Just a, uh, just a happy race director who really wants a hug and a nice that ceramic angel. mug. Oh, <laughs> that race family was so they were sweet. Great. Yeah. It was a husband and wife, and then they also had a kid. I think her name was Sadie. I can't remember. She was nine. She was obsessed with Hoka. She talked a lot. She was like the most well-spoken nine-year-old I've ever met in my life. Yeah. Um, it was just a great environment. Has being around myself and some of these other people running hundreds change your mindset about your own running journey at all when you see people going crazy distances like that? Yeah, it's insane. I mean, it makes me so appreciative that I don't have that bug. <laughs> no, but at the same time... Um, I had a lot of friends or even like long kind of like acquaintances that I used to be closer to in college run marathons this year. And I think it's relative what someone's like heart is. And for you, I mean, you've even said in the past, like your speed training for a marathon was your block, that block of training was so, so hard for you compared to kind of like your longer miles at slower pace for endurance. Because I think like at the end of the day, you're, you take care of your body so, so, so well that you were just like made to be an endurance runner. Like, I feel like that's, you're obviously very fast marathoner. I mean, 245 sub 245 is crazy, but at the same time, you're just, I, I personally think you're just made for endurance. Um, and, but it's relative, right? Like someone else, for me, a half marathon, it's hard. Do I think it's, do I think I could go more than, than that eventually? Yeah. But I just personally don't have the desire to do a marathon. Maybe that will change. I don't know. But you know, then our friend Lance who ran a marathon and that was really challenging for him, but then he ended up having so much fun. So who knows what's next? I think, your version of heart is relative until you do it. And then it might not be your version of heart anymore. You might be seeking something else. I was saying yesterday at the 12 miles, like running is hard no matter what, but it just gets easier to do those hard things. And then you just start looking for like the next hard that you want to challenge and tackle. So yeah, that was a long winded answer. No, it was a great answer because it's it's relative. <laughs> yeah, you know? it's relative You're for hard. sure. But seeing, two miles used to be hard for me. <laughs> yeah, seeing other people accomplish things, and and that's really where I get my inspiration from to try and share my journey on social. And that's where I get the most messages about people who are supporting me and whatever. Mm -hmm. And now that you're doing that as well, you're starting to get the same thing. Yeah, it's, I mean, people just. You know, to see everyday people that you've known forever kind of start to accomplish things and level up themselves. Yeah. Something inspiring about that. I remember, you know, when I when I first wasn't running, I just always thought you were so insane. And as someone who never runs ever, um, I would just like laugh and be like, Yeah, I don't know. I would I would just never run in my life. And now I'm doing it and I'm maybe I'm inspiring people who had that similar mind kind of like mindedness beforehand of like 
ew, I would never run. That was me. I was like, why would I do that? That sounds disgusting. <laughs> and now I'm out running, you know, double digit runs on the weekends. And I'm like, all right. And I'm like, huh, that's kind of fun. I'm, yeah. a run I'm a runner girl now. Who would have thought that? That's crazy. Not right? me. Yeah. Yeah. So any, any, if you could kind of leave the pod with any last thoughts, I mean, you got really emotional yesterday, just running 12 about how yeah. running's kind of changed your, your life in a short amount of time and what you thought you could accomplish and what you were capable of. So if you could speak to that a little bit, I think that'd be a great way to close out. Yeah. I said this, um, I said this on my Instagram, I think it was maybe my, just my close friends, but so my whole life, the, the sports that I've been involved in have all been team sports. And for the most part, whether it was high school, college, or in the NFL, I was I was on the team, so I was good enough, but I was never like in the upper echelon of those on the team. If anything, I was either like middle of the pack, but especially for cheerleading um, for NFL, I would say I was I was in the bottom because I cheered. I didn't dance and we went into a the three years that I was on was a very like dance technique heavy kind of years. And that can really mess with your ego, your self-confidence, a lot of stuff because it's like you're there, but you also feel like you have a foot out the door because your dancing is never good enough or sharp enough or what have you. Um, and then you go into this sport that's like so – selfish, so to speak. Like it's, it's all about you and you're not out there to run, at least for me, because I'm, I'm learning. I'm not out there to run faster than anyone else. I'm not even out there to run fast. I'm out there just to run and to try and push myself. And it's such a mental game. And it's, it's been an incredibly rewarding and emotional thing of one, seeing how mentally strong I am Two, doing something that's for myself and knowing that no matter what my performance is that day, I'm not letting anyone down. I'm definitely not letting myself down because I still went out and ran 12 miles yesterday, for example. It was a slow 12 miles. I had to walk a few times, but I didn't hydrate properly the night before. I drank the night before. I didn't eat well the night before. I was eating like cheese and crackers and Chick-fil-A yeah, nuggets. You did not set yourself up. I didn't set myself success. up and I waited until it was like 80 degrees outside. So I knew that yesterday the only thing that I was competing against was just the mere fact that my mind was going to be like, you do not need to be out here running 12 miles and you're going to struggle the whole time. But you just, you just like have to do it. You can't give yourself a no. And I just think that's been so rewarding for me coming from a place where I just felt have – been in dark places where I felt really bad about myself because I felt like I was either letting my team down or I just wasn't good enough. Why am I here questioning my my worth or my value in these team situations? And now I'm like, well, I'm doing something that a lot of people won't do in their lifetime or have the courage to even try to do in their lifetime. And I'm doing it anyway, regardless if my pace is seven minutes or 1030. So um, that's kind of the main thing is that like it's running is for anyone and everyone and it's what you make it just like Hannah Montana once said life's what you make it let's make it rock and that's how I feel about running <laughs> that's gonna be a soundbite great thanks for bringing uh, Miley Cyrus yeah. into this you're welcome Pretty Love her. that was your your last comment was that it 
you wrapped it up with that? Yeah, I'll wrap, I'll wrap it up even a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that it's a, it's a very personal running is the most personal thing that I've ever done in my life. Yeah. And I'm very proud of myself and I will never not tell people how proud running has made me of me and anyone can do it. There's no excuse out there that I would believe. I did it with a herniated disc, two bulging discs, a sciatic pain, all the things. Yeah. You just take it slow. You do some PT, go see Caroline. You do it. And it's all – It's no, ever, no one's going to be like, you ran 10 miles at a 10-minute pace. Wow, you're so lame. No one, no one in the running community would literally say that. No, um, it's super supportive. And, yeah. And you, you figure it out along the way. Yeah. So just if you want to try it, go do it. If you don't like it, then stop. I mean, it's all good. But it's just – it's amazing and it's re incredibly rewarding. And even if I don't end up running continuously for, you know, multiple, multiple races, I will never forget kind of this um, phase in my life where I, I got to do something for myself and only for myself. I love that. Love that. Great way to end. If anybody wants to follow along with your running journey, see how you do in Richmond. Yeah. By the time this is posted, you will have run Richmond. So, <laughs> um, Guys, my goal is 2.15. 2.15. Yeah, baby. Yeah, it's about a 2.30. If uh, anybody wants to, to follow along, where can they find you? You can find me on Instagram at, at Darian Shay. That's S-H-A-E because I'm Irish gal. And then you can also find me on TikTok at Darian Shay, which I have funny Halloween costumes on there. I guess that's how we're, we're ending this thing. Thanks, babe. I appreciate you coming on. You want to sing a song? I don't. Keep smiling. Keep shining. All right. That's the no pod. And you can always count on me. Our dogs have been barking this whole time, and I'm so worried that they have. I'll hook a shit again.